You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Adverse drug reactions, or ADRs, are a serious issue in healthcare today. The pharmacist is the last line of defense to help prevent ADRs. A rising role of the pharmacist is the specialist who focuses on our children. Pediatric pharmacy ensures safe and effective drug use and optimal medication therapy outcomes in children up to 18 years of age. Currently, there are more than 1,450 board-certified pediatric pharmacy specialists, known as BPS. If you're interested in this expanding field of pharmacy, this podcast is for you. All right, everyone, let's give it up for our host. The New York Times had a special report come out. It's titled, At the FDA's Urging, Pfizer, Biotech, and Moderna are expanding their trials for children 5 to 11. And at the urging of the federal regulators, two coronavirus vaccine makers are expanding the size of their clinical trials for children ages 5 to 11, a precautionary measure designed to detect rare side effects, including heart inflammation problems that turn up in vaccinated people younger than 30. Today is a special kickoff of a new podcast that we're bringing to the Pharmacy Podcast Network, driven by our absolute amazing pharmacist, my most favorite providers, (laughs) And I like to introduce to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, Dr. Allison Chung, a pediatrics pharmacist. Welcome, Dr. Allison. Thank you. Excited to be here. And we have a special guest today, uh, Dr. Benjamin Estrada. He is the professor and vice chair of pediatrics at the University of South Alabama, uh, College of Medicine. He's been there since 1996, and he's done a lot of collaborative research related to pediatric infectious disease and the underserved population. He's also been one of the stimuluses and the organizer for all of our, most of our vaccine clinics through University of South Alabama. Um, And I mean, I work with him in the University of South Alabama Children's and Women's Hospital, and I'm excited to have him today as we discuss more about COVID-19 vaccines in pediatrics. Welcome, Dr. Estrada. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to kick it off to you, um, Dr. Chung. We need to cover a bunch of topics in the pediatric pharmacist position and understanding and knowledge of the COVID-19 19 vaccines. So with that, how different between the both of you and and taking off, how different is the COVID vaccine when it comes to children versus um, adults? Well, the the approved or I should say the authorized indications for children of the currently uh, available vaccines include one vaccine, one mRNA vaccine that has been approved for children uh, 12 and older. Um, it's uh, widely available. Uh, we don't have any authorization, any EOA for ages younger than 12 yet. Uh, research is ongoing to determine appropriate dosing and appropriate uh, uh, indications for, for this vaccination, which uh, we hope will, will come over the next uh, few months. Uh, when it comes to protection, 
and uh, efficacy. The vaccine actually has been proven. The mRNA vaccine approved in the United States uh, for children 12 and older has been proven to be very immunogenic, very efficacious, and has a very good safety profile. Thank you. And is that true? Is there any differences you think between pediatrics and adults using the vaccine? Well, um, I think uh, you are bringing up a very good point, especially now uh, that we're seeing the Delta variant taking off in many areas of the country. We know that uh, the population that is at highest risk right now are those who are unvaccinated. There are many adults who were a recipients of the vaccine early on this year, people typically older than four years of age and many, many adults older than 65. However, there is a significant gap in coverage and vaccination uptake in, uh, in, popul in younger populations, specifically children 12 and older and uh, uh, young adults, 18 to 29. So we know that there is a need for immunization in those populations. The vaccine will be highly effective. With the Delta variant, we're seeing that those groups are being affected more often than older populations. So the difference of being so aggressive right now, recommending vaccination for younger people, is to try to minimize the impact that the Delta variant may have that we are all already seeing, unfortunately. I guess I know from my point of view and talking to people who haven't uh, gotten their children vaccinated and things like that, there's a lot of concerns. Um, I know they are wondering if it's been tested, the vaccines have been tested to the same extent it has in adults. Well, that's a great question. And uh, the, the studies were designed in such a way that uh, some of the adult information, adult uh, result data from the adult trials could be used uh, to, to help with the uh, uh, information uh, related to some aspects of the trials in children. However, the vaccines were authorized only after appropriate trial, the, 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 the RNA, mRNA vaccine that we have was authorized uh, only after uh, appropriate uh, safety and efficacy trials were done in children. So the data is there, more data continues to be collected. And the safety profile has been great. Efficacy above 95% in preventing severe disease and mortality, and also uh, infection, mainly for the, for the variants that were circulating at the time the trial was done. And that 95% efficacy was in pediatrics specifically? In pediatric patients, yes, in the, in the age groups mm -hmm. that uh, were authorized. Okay. And you've kind of touched on this, but the way the different vaccines work, do you think there's anything different compared to pediatric versus adults? Like they work the same way, don't they? Yes. The, the mechanism of action of the vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, is the same in adults and children. Uh, there are many uh, different types of platforms being studied around the world. The, the ones that we have here uh, approved are two mRNA vaccines. 
they use a, a, a lipid molecule as a delivery system. And uh, we also have a, a vaccine that uses a, an adenovirus as a delivery system, which uh, uses DNA, uh, which is different than the two mRNA vaccines. This DNA is inserted into cell nucleus without being integrated with the cellular DNA. And eventually, it is uh, transcribed into mRNA. So in the end, the, the product is the same. It's the production of the spike proteins by the three vaccines that have been approved. And the mechanism of action is the same uh, across age groups. So Dr. Strato, when do you think the vaccine will be recommended for patients younger than um, 14 now, for the younger population of children? Actually, it is recommended for patients younger than 14. It's recommended for oh, patients 12, 12 and sorry. older. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but uh, for younger populations, uh, we hope, uh, and I, I, this is uh, mainly an educated guess that sometime during the fall, early, early next year, we, we should know about uh, whether that's going to be recommended for younger populations. In the meantime, the most important thing to do to protect younger children who cannot be vaccinated yet is number one for those age uh, people in age in an age group that are that is approved for vaccination, they need to get vaccinated. And number two, the mitigation strategies need to continue in order to pro protect those uh, individuals, especially in regions of the country with a, a high viral burden. Kind of like our region here in Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, like our region and you know, many other regions in. Mm -hmm. in different parts of the country. Yeah. And you said we are seeing a lot higher COVID positive patients in the hospital now? Well, we're seeing a, an increase in the number of patients uh, who are hospitalized uh, across the state, across the region, an increase in the number of younger individuals, younger people uh, uh, who we did not see during the, few, the previous waves. We're seeing more uh, young adults and uh, adolescents and even younger children getting admitted uh, across across the region. Yeah. yeah. So what can we say to um, people who are questioning that why they should get the COVID vaccine when they've heard for their children, when they've heard that the symptoms are usually less severe. And so they they feel like they don't need to give it to their children because the symptoms aren't aren't supposed to be as bad as in adults. Well, the, the, that's an uh, important question. And uh, we have seen that the virus has changed and keeps changing, which is what happens with viruses. They adapt, we adapt to them, and then they adapt again uh, to continue uh, proliferating. So during the first wave, first two waves, uh, uh, the number of uh, younger people getting severely infected uh, or affected with uh, this disease uh, was not as significant as older individuals. However, we did have very sick children who had uh, very significant complications of uh, COVID-19. One of the major uh, complications that was actually described more than a year ago is a syndrome called MISC, which is a multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome in children, which happens to develop after a child gets uh, infected with the virus. Uh, 
they develop a severe inflammatory response that affects uh, multiple organs, including heart and brain and uh, uh, other areas of the body. And the main one that we have seen is uh, cardiac complications with these children. Mm -hmm. So they do get sick. And uh, one can think that uh, with the Delta variant that now is uh, affecting uh, younger populations in a much more severe way than what we saw during the first uh, waves. Uh, unfortunately, uh, and I hate to say this, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm prepared to see even more children with uh, complications from COVID-19 infection. Um, one of the complications that we have seen in addition to cardiac uh, complications is uh, neurologic complications, um, decreased school performance long-term, and there is a lot that we are still investigating, and uh, we still don't know the full spectrum of the long-term complications of uh, getting infected with COVID-19. But to answer your question in short, children can get infected, they can get complications, and unfortunately, they can also die when they get COVID-19. And unfortunately, we have had uh, deaths reported across the country mm. in pediatric patients uh, uh, due to COVID-19 infection. Yeah. And I, I understand that, but I guess there's a lot of people too, and well-educated people who believe that, um, speaking of the cardiac effects, they've seen that you can get myocarditis in young males with the COVID vaccines. And so they're wondering, how does this differ from the cardiac effects you might see with COVID? Excellent question also. Uh, there has been an observation that uh, after uh, in some patients, young patients, males mainly, uh, there is a very small risk of self-limited temporary heart cardiac inflammation that we call myocarditis. The, the rate is really, really low, and it's about 1.8 cases per 100,000 doses given. So it's not zero, but it's extremely low. But for comparison, I can tell you that the rate of cardiac complications in children who or young adults who get COVID is much higher, uh, depending on what the report you looked at, uh, maybe up to seven, eight percent. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means that you know, for about five hundred children who get COVID nineteen, you you may have forty plus who get cardi cardiac complications. The numbers are tremendously high, higher than the potential uh, risk of uh, uh, myocarditis with vaccination. And so you said the myocarditis with the vaccination is transient, it's temporary? Yes, yes. and that is a very good point. Yeah. The, the myocarditis with the vaccination, uh, for the most part, is not long-lasting, it resolves, and uh, children do okay. Myocarditis and cardiac complications secondary to COVID-19, uh, we have seen it all. We have seen children who develop uh, arrhythmias, who develop uh, chronic cardiac disease. So it's a much more severe uh, set of uh, long-term side effects, what you're going to see with a, a viral infection versus uh, mm -hmm. vaccine administration. And the neural effects you see with COVID as well, have you seen those lasting? Well, the, and uh, this is one of those areas where research is still ongoing, and uh, there are different studies showing that uh, 
then I, there, there may be a good association between COVID-19 infection and neurologic effects in, in children. Uh, it may turn out to be one of the main long-term complications. Uh, this has been going on for a little more than a year. Uh, it's going to be very important to follow up uh, aspects such as the uh, developmental milestones, achievement, and uh, also a school performance among uh, children who have been infected with this. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know everything that there is to know about COVID-19 yet, but that's, that's a significant concern at this point. Speaking of which, um, I know some people are also concerned about Guillain-Barr syndrome with the vaccines. Is that a real to, concern? Well, to, yeah, there are some vaccines that, uh, even vaccines that we have used for years, have been uh, associated or investigated because of association to Guillain-Barré uh, with the vaccine that has been approved for children the mRNA vaccine specifically that we are using in children, uh, Guillain-Barré, to my knowledge, has not been reported or associated with. But with the other ones? Yeah, I think be. there is some anecdotal mm -hmm. uh, experience with uh, adult, uh, some, uh, an adult uh, vaccine that uh, uh, has been uh, uh, published, but uh, I'm not, not sure if that's a, a causal association. Do you think about any potential long-term effects of the COVID vaccine on children, such as autism or infer infertility? Uh, there has not been any evidence that the vaccine uh, is linked to autism or infertility. Uh, many uh, 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 outlets in the past uh, linked uh, uh, in a misleading fashion other vaccinations with autism and to this day, there is no scientific evidence that autism is linked to vaccination. Uh, and uh, there is no evidence that uh, is linked to the COVID vaccine. Uh, the same for infertility. The, the information that has been circulating in social media related to infertility really does not have any significant scientific uh, uh, background that we can rely on. So you didn't get fake news that's been circulating? Well, uh, it's, it's not uh, the type of scientific evidence yeah. that uh, we should be using. Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, how do you think uh, pharmacists are important in get, getting pediatric patients vaccinated? What do you think our role could be or should be? Uh, that is a great question also. Uh, we know that uh, patients will, uh, one of the major aspects uh, related to vaccine uptake uh, is uh, trust. Uh, one of the major reasons for hesitancy is mistrust. But uh, it's important for people who have a relationship with the patients, physicians, pharmacists. There are not many pharmacists who uh, know their patients because they have being in contact with them in the same pharmacy for years. And that they have developed a relationship of trust. Mm -hmm. So number one, pharmacies play a very important role because they are individuals that uh, patients uh, trust. We know that uh, patients are gonna be much more willing to take the vaccination if the information comes from a, a trustworthy uh, source like a 
physician, a provider, or pharmacist. So pharmacists can get educated uh, the, with the scientific information that is necessary to uh, let patients know the benefits and of the vaccination and to mm -hmm. answer the questions. Do you have any suggestions on, I guess, good tips or ways that pharmacists can encourage vaccinations in pediatric patients? Well, yes. Uh, one of the major suggestions uh, is, uh, you know, we are all fixing to start the school year across the country. And uh, as a pediatrician, I'm all 100% for presential school activities. I think uh, children need to be in school. Mm -hmm. Uh, we we saw many many situations that uh, were serious uh, related to mental health when children were not going to school at the onset of the pandemic. So number one, children need to be in school, but to do it safely, uh, we need to make sure that those who can get vaccinated get vaccinated. Uh, I feel much more comfortable sending my children to school knowing that uh, they have been vaccinated than if they were not, especially with these uh, you know, outbreaks or waves that we're seeing uh, on and off. Uh, so telling parents about the advantages of having uh, vaccinated children in school so they can continue their normal activities and have some sense of normalcy that they are used to and it's so important psychologically for them is uh, one of the number one things that we can, we can emphasize. Thank you, Dr. Strada. That was an absolutely amazing first episode. I was very excited to have you. Um, and we look forward to having more podcasts. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Estrada, for being our first guest on this podcast that is focused on pediatric pharmacists and pharmacy uh, practices. If you're listening and you are in uh, the pediatric side of our pharmacy industry and you focus on children and would like to be a guest, please reach out to the show. You can find links in the show notes to connecting with Dr. Chung on LinkedIn. We're so excited that she's part of this, gearing up and preparing more pharmacists that are interested in pediatrics, a pathway and an idea how to get more involved uh, they estimate that that special certification, which is required by the Board of Pharmacy Specialties, they indicate that there's about 1,200 certified pediatric pharmacists in the United States, 311,000 total pharmacists. So guess what? People that are listening, if you're interested in pediatrics, this is the time to jump in and to become a specialist in pediatrics. If there's a big opportunity in health systems, in primary care and pediatrics themselves to, to assist and to build your consultative practices specifically in helping children. Uh, Dr. Chung, thank you so much. This was really exciting to hear this first episode and kick this off. And as I said, thank you so much, Dr. Estrada, for being our first guest. That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. 